Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen, at snc.tv and local now, channel 525. Now it's time to think and discern. This is Bob Bernie Live. Well, we're talking with Pastor Greg Laurie, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Southern California. He is also the author, get this, of more than 70 books. He's also the featured speaker at the Harvest Crusades, those large-scale evangelistic events that you've heard about in California. Now, Greg, you've been preaching a long, long time now. (laughs) I'm closing in on 50 years. Now, let me explain. I started when I was five. And I had a very small little pulpit, little tiny microphone, and I was in diapers. And my first message was based on the passage where Paul says, we shall all be changed. Not really. But I have been preaching for 50 years. I'm 69 years old. So I've been doing this for a while. Well, we're here to talk about your book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, subtitled The Spiritual Biography of Rock and Roll. The first thing people may notice about the title is it's the name of that the name of Jesus is included among some of the seemingly dissimilar names Bob Dylan, John Lennon, Alice Cooper. It's it's almost like a civil service exam. Pick the one that doesn't belong. <laughs> yes. Well, go to the Bible and look at Jesus and Nicodemus, Jesus and Zacchaeus, Jesus and the woman at the well, Jesus and the woman caught in the act of adultery. It fits because my point is take these iconic people and I want to tell you about their spiritual journeys. That's a spiritual biography of rock and roll. And it has some surprising revelations about maybe your favorite pop a rock star, things you did not know about them, specifically in the area of their search for God. For instance, take John Lennon. Of course, we all remember his famous statement when he said, the Beatles were more popular than Jesus. And let me just address that for a moment. Uh, To a generation of people at that moment in time, there was some truth to that. And I would include myself as a young person because I knew nothing of Jesus, but I knew everything about the Beatles. And Lennon went on to try to explain it, saying, well, if I would have said television is more popular than Jesus, there wouldn't have been this controversy or uproar. But things changed in the life of John Lennon after he made that statement. And we explore those things in the book. Now, I'm not suggesting John Lennon was a Christian at the end of his life, but I have to point this out. There is a moment in time when John Lennon made a profession of faith to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Not only that, he recorded two gospel songs that you can find online if you search for them. Now, it was not a long-lasting thing, but it was very big to him. He wrote about it extensively in his diary. But then he seemed to fall away from that. But in some ways, toward the end of his life, which was a very tragic end, you see that he mentioned some of those things 
again. So here's my point. John Lennon made a profession of faith earlier in his life. He was tragically gunned down in New York City by Mark David Chapman. He was conscious after he was shot. He was being driven to the hospital, and the police officer driving him said, Do you know who you are? And Lennon replied, Yes, I do. If he was conscious and aware, if John Lennon called out to Jesus Christ in the final moments of this life, would his prayer have been heard? The answer is yes. We think of the thief on the cross who said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. I wrote this book to give encouragement and hope to people out there who will read it, who have a loved one that is not a Christian. They don't seem like they would ever become a Christian. It might be your husband or wife or your mom or your dad or your son or your daughter or a coworker or a friend. And you will see in this book, as you explore the lives of those who have been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and in many cases, been the T-shirt, that they climbed to the top of the mountain and there was nothing there. So should it surprise us that these people are searching for a deeper meaning in life? You see, when you are thinking, if only I was rich, if only I was famous, if only I had a record, or if only I filled a, you know, a stadium with a bunch of people chanting my name, I would be happy. These people have experienced it. They know that's not the answer. So many of them have gone on a deep search for God. So there's a lot here that may surprise you. Now, in first blush, it's interesting that a pastor is writing a book about rock and roll musicians. It seems like an unlikely pairing, isn't it? Well, let me just say that I've always loved music. I've always loved rock and roll. To quote the great theologian Joan Jett, I love rock and roll. And so I've always been aware of rock. I've always listened to rock. I I kind of became aware of it more as a young man watching the Beatles. But in this book, this is not glorifying rock music or rock musicians. This is a book that is exploring the lives of people that have basically experienced everything this world has to offer and have found it empty. It's sort of a modern version of the story of Solomon, who had everything this world offers. And then he concluded it was all emptiness. It was like chasing the wind. It was like a bubble that bursts. And so, you know, when you've climbed to the top of the mountain and you've been all that in a bag of chips, when when you've been on a lunchbox or on a T-shirt or people, you know, have your poster hung in their room, you realize how empty all of that is. So I explore these stories. One fascinating section of the book is about the so-called 27 Club. Ever heard about that? These are artists who are very well known, who all tragically died at the age of 27. Jimi Hendrix died at the age of 27. So did Janis Joplin. You have to put Jim Morrison in there as well. Fast forward a number of years and you put Amy Winehouse in there, along with Kurt Cobain, people that had it all and yet died at the very young age of 27. So I sort of show the birth of rock, the growth of rock, the pinnacle of rock in the 60s and 70s, and then the just complete collapse of so many of these 
iconic people. But then I explore the lives of those rock stars who have come to Jesus Christ and are following him. People I've gotten to know personally, like Dion DiMucci of Dion and the Belmonts, Richie Fure of the Buffalo Springfield and Poco, and Alice Cooper, who I've interviewed multiple times. This is a guy that has experienced all that this world has to offer and has found it empty and now is following Jesus Christ. You know, I'm not sure how we can relate to the lives of these musicians and rock stars. I've I've tried to imagine what it must be like to be extremely famous, you know, where you can't even go to the grocery store without a mob developing. You can't open your blinds for fear of paparazzi with telephoto lenses. And I guess that's the point that you make in the book. These music stars have a lot of stuff, but they have a lot of stress, too. Is that right? Yes, they really do. I mean, it's been said, careful what you wish for, you might get it. And these are people that got what they wished for, and then it even went beyond their wildest dreams. But the problem is the dreams, in many cases, turn into a horrible nightmare. You know, when you look at the founders of rock, if you will, uh, they called them the Millionaire Quartet. Elvis Presley, Johnny Cash, Jerry Lee Lewis, Carl Perkins. Uh, They were all produced by a man named Sam Phillips, who had Sun Records. These guys came from abject poverty in some cases. They were just country boys. All of them was sort of a gospel foundation. All of them were taken to church as young men, and of course, they all rebelled against it. But interestingly, every one of those founders ultimately came to realize they needed to turn to Jesus. Elvis struggled through the years. He often sang gospel songs. There's a lot of fascinating revelations about Elvis Presley in this book, Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus. Uh, Jerry Lee Lewis is the only one alive still of the four. But in recent interviews, he's talked about his need to get right with God. And of course, Johnny Cash became very strong in his faith. I wrote a whole book about him, as a matter of fact, called Johnny Cash, The Redemption of an American Icon. And then finally, Carl Perkins, who wrote Blue Suede Shoes and other great songs. He was a raging alcoholic and actually came to the Lord while he was on tour with Johnny Cash and took his bottle of booze and threw it into the ocean and committed his life to Christ and served the Lord for the final years of his life. So, yeah, these guys experienced it. and In some cases, girls experienced it and saw the emptiness of it. So this is a very honest book. So I start the book with these words. There'll be three surprises when we get to heaven. Number one, some of the people we thought would be there won't be there. Number two, Some of the people we never thought would be there will be there. Surprise number three, you'll be there. So these are some of the people you never thought would be there who will be there. Because no one is beyond the reach of God. Hey, I want to thank Pastor Greg Laurie. Thank you so much. And if you're interested in his book, go to our website, thewordcolumbus.com. The book is Lennon, Dylan, Alice, and Jesus, written by my guest, Pastor Greg Laurie. Today's news, God's Word, and your thoughts. This is Bob Bernie Live.
Okay, this story I'm going to share with you is revolting. It is disgusting. It is deplorable. But it's not surprising. Sadly, this is not surprising. Here is the headline. You ready for this? New York Church invites drag queens for Pentecost service called Worship is a Drag. (laughs) Get the uh, play on words? Yet drag queens, worship is a drag? Now, we could camp on that for several minutes if we would dissect the meaning of worship, worth-ship. We worship God because He is worthy, because He is holy, because He is just, because He is righteous. He is worthy of our worship, worth-ship. We could camp there for a while and understand how blasphemous worship is a drag is, but... Let's go on with the story. Here it is. The Park Church in Elmira, New York, hosted a Sunday service featuring drag queens called Worship is a Drag in honor of LGBT Pride Month. A church in upstate New York marked LGBT Pride Month by hosting a pair of drag queens at a worship service. The uh, Park Church in Elmira hosted Worship is a Drag event Sunday, the first Sunday of the month recognized by LGBT activists as Pride Month. Now, here is why it is revolting, disgusting, but it's not surprising. The church affiliated with the United Church of Christ. The UCC is possibly the most far-left liberal denomination in America. This is the denomination of Barack Obama. It is. Check it out. Uh, I don't know whether he's still a member, but for way over 20, 22 years, he was a member of a United Church of Christ church in Chicago. Well, the church affiliated with the United Church of Christ described the event as, quote, a special communion worship service with guest presenters in drag. The blasphemy just gets deeper and deeper. First, they blaspheme the concept of worship, and then this is a communion service. What is communion all about? Well, if we believe what the Word of God says in 1 Corinthians, before you ever partake of communion, you are to look at your own life, confess, and repent of your own sin. When we come to the communion table, when we break the bread and drink the cup, We are repenting of our sin and understanding our unworthiness and understanding that Jesus had to shed his blood because of our sin. It's hard to imagine anything more blasphemous 
for a special communion service than guest prisoners in drag. Believe it or not, it gets worse. Led by the church's pastor, Reverend J. Gary Bryn, the service was held to celebrate Pentecost, kick off LGBTQ plus Pride Month, and come to Christ's table of love. The church published a flyer promoting the event on Facebook last month, which featured a man wearing women's clothing and makeup. It gets worse. In a message shared on the pastor's personal website, Pastor Bryn wrote, you got to listen to this. I know you're doing other things. You may be driving, but if you can, listen to this note on this pastor's personal website. Just as there have always been queers, there has always been diversity in gender expression and affectional orientation, so there has always been diversity within Christianity. He went on and dismissed the idea of God as a white male. He said, quote, For despite God's supposed omnipotence, he was constantly offended that humans were not properly stroking his ego or following the rules he had implemented to micromanage our lives. The culmination of his rage was the ultimate act of domestic violence, conspiracy to murder his only son. Now, if that version works for you, that God that small men created in their own image, though if that version does work for you, I'm probably not the right pastor for you, for I find that God angry and violent, disgusting and unworthy of my adoration and praise. That God is a monster, one that I abandoned long ago. A God who sent his son to die on the cross for our sins according to this pastor of a United Church of Christ, is a monster. Um, This is where the left ultimately takes a church. 